You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. If uh, you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter um, 28. So let me read to you Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to start. Oh, I don't think I gave the team the text, but I'm going to start in verse 10, and then I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up to earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, um, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall be spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring uh, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on it, on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But in the name, but the city, um, the name of that city was Luz at the time, at, at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So that's our, our text this morning. What we are seeing here and what, we've, what we saw this last couple of weeks, this, this kind of impetuous man uh, named Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy to the fullest extent. He dwelled in the tents with his mom. He stayed at home with his mom. His brother, Esau, older brother, very, very hairy man, um, was a hunter. He was out always with, um, always with, uh, with, his, with his dad, who was his dad's favorite, hunting. And then last week we saw how Jacob stole this blessing, this blessing that was um, intended for Esau. He stole it from his brother Esau, tricked his blind bedridden dad. And all the planning and all the scheming that Jacob has done up to this point is now completely backfiring. Everything that Jacob had planned, everything he planned to take, the blessing, the birthright, all the stuff, everything that he grasped by his own hands in his own scheming, slippery ways is now backfiring. He's fleeing the land. You see him here leaving. He schemed to steal the birthright that, this, that procured this land. He, he, he schemed it out of his brother's hand. If you remember, he was like, his brother came in from hunting and he was hungry. And he's like, Jacob, that, that soup smells so good. It's my favorite soup. Can I have a bowl? And Jacob's like, bro, you can have a bowl. Just sell me your birthright. Sell me everything that's rightfully yours. Sell me your inheritance for a bowl of soup. Now, that's not a good trade 
okay? Just so, if, I don't know if you guys didn't read that into the text. That's not a good trait. And, but Esau, it says later on, being a godless man, just despised his birthright. What good is a birthright to me if I'm going to die right now? I'm that hungry. A little overdramatic. What good is it? It's not good. Give me the bowl. You can have the birthright. Despised it. And so Jacob, Jacob got it. So Jacob schemed to get this birthright, but, but the birthright included the land. Guess what Jacob is leaving right now? The land. The thing he schemed to get, he fought to get, he lied to get. He's to, he has to flee it. He gets the blessing. And with the blessing come everything. Come the riches that come with the family. Come, come everything, all, all, all the inheritance. Everything that God had promised Jacob through Esau's or through Isaac's blessing, he is now leaving all of it. It's completely backfired. He's alone. He's unprotected. He's left with nothing. Everything he was scheming for and planning for his whole life to grab just slipped through his fingers. And he's on, a, on the run. And ironically... He's leaving the very land of promise, heading toward the very place that God called Abraham out of. It's like the antithesis to Abraham's life. Abraham was called out of Ur and called into the promised land. uh, uh, Jacob is now running from the promised land into the land that Abraham was called out of. Jacob had received the blessing, had received the birthright, but it was now looking more like a curse. It's like when you want something so bad and you go after it with everything you have, and then the worst thing happens. You actually get it. And you get what you want really bad, but it doesn't satisfy you the way you hoped it would. It isn't what you thought it was going to be. Or more than that, sometimes you absolutely hate it. You got what you wanted, but it's ruining your life. This is the context of Genesis chapter 28. Jacob has finally got everything he's ever wanted. He's got the blessing. He's got the birthright. He's got everything, but it's backfired, and now he's on the run, leaving everything that he tried so hard to get hit. It completely backfired. That's the context of Genesis 28. So when we read that, Jacob finds this certain place, and he lays his head on a rock. He has nothing else. He has no protection. He has no tent. He has no blanket. He has no family. He has no friends. He has no mama. Nothing. And he's leaving everything he knows, all the blessing, everything. That's the context. So this is how I want to look at our text this morning. An unexpected encounter, a response of requirement, and an act of grace. An unexpected encounter that he has with God, a response of requirement, how Jacob responds to God, and then lastly, where I want to get is an act of grace. First, an unexpected encounter. The text says that when Jacob came to a certain place, he, he stayed the night. That certain place just happened to be the exact same place where his grandfather Abraham built an altar to the Lord and worshiped God by calling on his name in Genesis 12. Just happened to be the same place. Jacob is a fugitive. He's on the run from his brother because his brother wants to kill him. His brother's really good at killing, by the way. Remember, he's a hunter. So his brother, who's a really good hunter, says, I'm going to kill you. You got to know that he knows how to do that really well. And so Jacob's running from it for his life. He's running for his life. He has to sleep out in the open under the stars. He has no tent and no blanket. Doesn't even have a pillow. And he grabs a rock and he puts it under his head and he falls asleep. Now, first of all, this would have been very dangerous. As wild animals were common in places like that, not to mention the possibility of dangerous people. He was also a domestic mama's boy. He was alone in the wilderness and has absolutely nothing. And then Jacob finally falls asleep. He's so tired, he just falls asleep, and he has his dream. And the dream, if you read it, is pretty epic. 
It's this giant ladder that stretches from heaven to earth. This is his dream. He has this, this dream of this giant ladder that goes from heaven to earth. Now, the best way to, to, to understand what Jacob sees is not to think of it as a ladder. That's a, that's a translation that we use, but this was more accurate to think of it as an ancient ziggurat. Now, if you don't have any context of an ancient ziggurat, you're like, I don't really remember those. Um, the best mental image I can give you of an ancient ziggurat is uh, the Mayan pyramids. Big old pyramids with steps all the way up to the very top. Okay? You got it in your head now? So he saw something like that. From heaven to earth or earth to heaven all the way up. So he had, sees this giant stairway all the way up. And then what he sees is he sees this, that this, this stairway, this ladder is a portal. This is so sci-fi. It's a portal for angels to descend to embark on their errands for God and then ascend back to God through this portal. He sees giant angels are messengers of God, okay? He sees these angels going up and down and up and down through it. It's like this is a portal into heaven. This is a portal into the presence of God. And angels get to earth through this portal. This is his dream. He sees this and he's going up and down. They're going up and down, up and down. And top of it all, some translations say next to it, but on top of it, it's probably the best translation, on top of the whole thing is God who stood there at the stairway. That's the setting of the dream. This is what he dreams, but the content of the dream is what is really important, the content of what he sees. God starts first by identifying himself. This is the first time that Jacob is meeting God. So God goes, hi, I'm the Lord, the Lord God, the God of your father Abraham and Isaac, how you doing? And then he says, he starts in with promises. And God says, I promise you land and increase and presence. This is what God says to Jacob. I promise you land, and I promise you increase, and I promise you present. Each element of the blessing corresponds to a need that Jacob has right then. First, the promise of the land. Jacob was leaving the land that, had, that he had hoped to inherit. He was leaving everything. Due to the way he tried to go about it, it backfired, and now he has no land. And God says, hey, I'm going to give you land. Jacob, I'm going to bring you back in this land. I promise I'll bring you back and give you this land. The second is, I'm going to increase your family. Jacob had nothing. He had no extra cloak to roll up as a pillow. He grew up with servants and animals and tents and family possessions, but he had nothing now. And he said, God said, I promise you that I will give you children, that I'll give you increase. I'll increase your household, and I'll cause your household to grow so big that it's going to spread to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. You have nothing right now, Jacob. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you a family, and I'm going to give you stuff. I mean, crazy blessings. And then finally, the best blessing, I think the best promise of God is a promise of presence. Jacob was alone. He had no family, no mommy no community. He had no one. And God said, Jacob, I will be with you wherever you go. I promise that I will be with you. The promise of God was this continual presence with Jacob. Jacob was hopelessly alone, and this must have been a great comfort to him. Now, here's the biggest thing about this blessing. This is what trips, this should trip you out about this blessing. Now, prior to this chapter, we have only seen Jacob in a negative light. We have not seen any redemptive qualities in Jacob. This is why I said last week, you and I resemble Jacob more than probably anybody. We, don't, we would love to be Abraham, but not many of us. Maybe one of us, since we're first service. I threw third service under the bus last week. I was like, if there's anyone that's like Abraham, they'd probably go to first, not third service. Just saying. So probably one of you in first service is, could, could like really relate to Abraham. 
Everyone in third is Jacob, okay? But here, there's probably one, maybe more than that. But this, we can relate more to Jacob than anyone else because Jacob is, he, he has no, 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 nothing good going for him until God breaks into his life. Nothing. Up to this point, we have no legit insight into his character before God. We don't have any insight into his spiritual condition or his relationship to God. And from his action, we have no cause to think of him as a godly individual. There is nothing. You can't read back into what you know about Jacob right here. There is nothing up to this point that says that he's a godly individual at all. He's impetuous. He's manipulative. He's cold-hearted. He's self-centered. Nothing good about Jacob up to this point. So when we come to chapter 28, we cannot, we cannot pull in a presupposed picture of Jacob because we know the rest of the story. He's not a man of faith with insight into the character of God. He's not living by faith. He's not living in submission to God's will. I say all this for this reason. I say all of that about Jacob because based on Jacob's pursuit of God, God should not be appearing to Jacob. There is no reason for God to be appearing to Jacob right now. And if God did appear to Jacob, it should have been something like, Jacob, are you kidding me? That's what it should have been, right? Jacob, you traded your brother's birthright for a bowl of soup. What were you thinking? That is so cold-hearted. He was starving. He's your brother. That was so mean. And that thing about lying to your blind, bedridden dad... What God should have said to Jacob is, you are a lying, cheating, slippery snake. And I want to show you that you can't get around me, Jacob. You can't get your way all the time, Jacob. I want to show you that you're messing with the Lord God. That's what God should have said. He should have come down with wrath. But God doesn't. God comes down with blessings and gifts and promises. This makes no sense. At least God should have come down and said this. Okay, Jacob, listen. Okay, we need to talk. You need to start walking with me now. You need to stop lying, Jacob, and you need to stop cheating, and you need to stop running away, and then I will be your God. Jacob, I'm the Lord. I'll be your God, and I'll start giving you stuff, but you've got to walk with me. You've got to love me. You've got to do all these things. Stop lying and cheating and running around. Stop doing that. See, if God said that to Jacob, it would have actually been a stairway that Jacob would have to build to God. It, would, it wouldn't have been a stairway that came down. It would have been a stairway that, it's like, hey, here, let me tell you how to build this stairway. This is how you get to me. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop doing all these things that you're doing, Jacob, and then you'll get to me. And then we can have a relationship. But this stairway was God's stairway reaching earth, reaching right to where Jacob was. Right where he was in his life then. Listen, right where you're at right now. I don't, know, I don't know what your life has led up to up to this point of how many times you think that there's no way God can break in and save my life. There's no way. God broke into Jacob's life and met him right where he was. And God was reaching out to Jacob at his most vulnerable and desperate time. Some people don't get the fact that people turn to God when they're at their lowest. This is one of the reasons why people turn to God at their lowest, so that the world can know that it's by grace that God comes into people's lives. What did you do to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing. God does not wait until people arrive at spiritual maturity before he makes advances. 
He doesn't say, okay, I, what I want you to do is I want, to get, I want you to get your home life together. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to, when you do these things, then you and I can be in relationship. God doesn't do that. God breaks into people's lives where they're at. This makes no sense to me personally, but if this didn't happen, I would not be saved. I would not be a follower of Jesus. I would not be redeemed. Most of you would not be redeemed. But how does Jacob respond to God's advances? This is almost comical. This is almost comical because it sounds like us, but the fact that it's recorded in the Bible is insane. This is how Jacob responds. Jacob says the exact same thing that God says to him back to God, but in the form of a vow. God's like, hey, I'm going to do all these things. And he's like, God, listen, I have this idea. If you do these things, God's like, I just said I'll do those things. No, 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 listen. If you do them, God's like, I will do them. No, no, no. If you do them, then, I'll be, then you'll be my God. That's what he says to him. It's, it's hilarious. He, he, he repeats the same thing. If, he says this, if God will be with me and will keep me and give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I come back to this land, then the Lord shall be my God. God's like, oh, I just said that. And then he throws this last thing in, and I'll kick you back 10%. Like, God, listen to this. The more you give me, the more you get back. I'm just saying. So the more you get, 10%, God. I'm, you're going to get 10% back from me. It's insane. We do this with God all the time. God, if you give me that job, I will tithe this, this month. I will give you back. You give me more money, you'll get more money. That's just how it works, God. We do this with God all the time. We say, God, if you do these things, then, you shall, then, then I'll surrender my life. Then I'll give my life to you, really. But I need to see these things line up because I need to know if I could trust you. And so Jacob here says, basically, God, do we have a deal? I love how God doesn't respond. It's like crickets. It's like, God, okay, God, I have this thing. And it's like, God, like you were just there. Where are you? It just, the chapter ends. So what's Jacob doing? Well, at first, at least there's an awe of God. You see that? There's an awe of God. Um, he, he says, the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. At first, it seems like he's preoccupied with the promiser more than the promises. He didn't wake up going, oh my gosh, blessing. He's like, God is in this place. He's more consumed with the promiser than the promises, which is a really good sign. That's how it starts. But then what happens is that the old Jacob breaks in, the bargainer Jacob, the bowl of soup Jacob, the liar Jacob. He's like, God, would you want a, you want a bowl of soup? Like I have, what do you, I have 10%. What, I mean, what do you have? And so God says that I'll do all these things. And then Jacob's like, but but if you do them, God's like, but I will do them. But if you do, I will do them. Then you will be my God. He goes, I am, I am God. This is, that's what Jacob says. One commentator writes, um, God has already promised him in a dream that he will do all these things for him. Jacob, however, remains the suspicious bargainer, a wrestler with words and, and conditions uh, just as he is a physical wrestler. He's wrestles with everyone in, this, in, his, in his life. And now he's wrestling with words with God. He's like, God, okay, let's just, let's go rounds here, okay? I know you said that, but if you do those things, then you shall be my God. Another commentator writes, Jacob remains in this wait and see mode and wants to have his benefits up front before he delivers on anything. Now, this vow that Jacob makes with God is not a vow that says, if God does all these things, then I will glorify God, I will serve God, I will give all the glory to God. That's not what's happening here. God has made a statement of his intentions, but Jacob still shows himself skeptical. 
And these are, and this, what's, what's really funny in this text is that God promises things to Jacob, but then Jacob promises things to God. Look at Jacob's promises. First promise he makes to God is, God, you can be God. That's his first promise. God, if you do these things, then you know what? You can be God. But the thing is, I'm already God. That's what God said. I'm, I'm already God. That's the, that's, it, when you say, I'm going to make the Lord my God, God, he's already God. If you do not believe in God, that makes him no less God. Maybe Jacob is running from home at this point, but maybe, maybe Jacob is also running from the God of that home. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You may, m- might have grown up in a faith-based household, and there's some point, I meet people like this all the time, especially in San Francisco, they run from not just home, but the God of their home. Maybe Jacob is doing something like that. And God is breaking in, and God is going after Jacob. And Jacob is saying, God, this is what I promise. If you do these things, then you can be God. That doesn't change who God is. The second thing that he promises is that he'll give God a tenth. Now, this is not a big deal. Have you ever read when C.S. Lewis writes, um, if, a, if a, daughter, a daughter asks for her dad for uh, um, six pence to buy him a gift, and she gets him a gift that's worth six pence, he's not six pence richer. It was his money anyway. It's like that. Like, God gives you stuff and you give it back. God's not richer because you give back to him. It's all his anyways. God's not looking for 10%. God wants your whole life, the entirety of it. This is something that Jacob will learn later. This brings up something that I've been thinking about um, recently. What if due to our culture and due to our self-centered nature, what if spirituality and Christianity and religion whatever you want to call it, spirituality. Some people say here, I'm real spiritual, I'm religious, I'm a Christian. However you frame it. What about your whole faith sort of worldview and your whole faith framework? What if the whole thing was based on you getting God to give you what you desire? What if your Christianity was really based on you trying to get God to get you what you desire? What if your spirituality was trying to get God, whatever, whoever, to get you what you really want? What if we actually run everything through that filter? What if we run the church we go to through that filter? I base everything on what I, what I, if God will give you my desires. What if we base the people we choose to love through that, the, where we choose to give our money, the doctrine we, true, do we choose to accept or reject, the doctrines of Scripture that we say, that's not what God meant and that's what God meant. What if the doctrines we choose to agree with and disagree with are really about our desires? What if the, our approval rating of God is really based on the desires that God is fulfilling in us? Yes, I like this God. He gives me this and that. What if Christianity, spirituality, religion is not about the transcendent, self-sustained, self-sufficient, all-glorious God? What if it's really about us? That's really what's convicting about Jacob's life because it's in living color. His, his walk with God, quote-unquote God, was really about him the whole time. It was really about him. What can I get from God? Will God give me what I desire? Will God give me what I want? What if, like Jacob, we're treating God as a passenger along for the ride? Whereas God insists, and he insists rightly in being in the driver's seat. 
Like, I have my life, God. I have my way of life, God. If you want to help me do what I want to do, what I desire, then you can write along in my life. And if, if everything goes well, this thing might get serious between me and you. It might even get official. But if not, you got to go. If not, I don't believe in you anymore. Because it's really about me. You're sovereign. God's not sovereign. You're the sovereign one. But what's the, and I know that that sort of thought and those sort of thoughts get really convicting. Even, they convict me a ton. But this is the, this is the grace that's found here. Jacob's like that, but, 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 but I think this is the, the main idea of this entire section, this entire chapter. Jacob is bargaining with God, but, and that's a, a glorious transition. Jacob is bargaining with God, but God is pursuing Jacob. Jacob's like, mm, I don't know, like, let's, let's, make, let's strike a deal, but God keeps pursuing Jacob. Last point, an act of grace. How is the grace of God available to us? In the midst of trying to get God to give us what we desire, what we want, how is the grace of God available to us? How and why is it available to Jacob when he is completely undeserved and it was completely unexpected? Why is the grace of God so available to us? Notice that this was not a stairway to heaven, but a stairway from heaven. He comes to you. You don't go to him. You can't. We try all the time through our spirituality. We try through our own holiness, our own self-righteousness. They're all stairways that we try to build to God. I will get to God if I do this amount of work, this amount of service, this amount of stuff. If I do this amount of good deeds, I will get to God. People think like that all the time. I will get to this. You call it many different things. Path to enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. We think we can get to God by doing these things. Be a good person. Be, you hear it in language. You hear it in the way people talk. You might hear it at work all the time. I just want to do good things. I think we'd live at peace with all men. Like all this stuff. And you, we think it's a stairway to divine. We think it's a stairway to God. We can't do that. The only way that the grace of God is available to us is through that stairway coming down. The stairway that comes from God is a stairway of grace. This is why in John chapter 1, Jesus calls himself Jacob's ladder. This, boy, this, this man, Nathaniel, was under a fig tree, and Philip went and got him and said, hey, I think we found the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And Nathaniel comes up to him, and he's like, Philip's like, so this guy's from Nazareth. And he's like, Nazareth? Come on. It's like from Fresno. Like, who does that? Like, what? <laughs> what good comes out of um, the valley? And, and so, like, what? How is that even, like, a thing? And um, he's like, you got to meet him. So he meets him. And Jesus, like, looks right into his soul. He goes, hey, look at this man, a man with no guile. Like, this guy says, says how it is. He's like, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And then he was flipping out. He says, surely you are. You're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus says something fascinating. He says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Same language. Same reference. You know what Jesus is saying? And there, there, there must have been something Nathaniel have experienced, the, the same thing that Jacob experienced. Maybe when Nathaniel was at the lowest point of his life, when grace was the most unmerited and undeserved, God saw him. 
Maybe that's why he was in awe when he's like, something happened under that fig tree. Maybe, I, nobody knows what happened under that fig tree. But maybe he was under the, like, like at the lowest point of his life. Like maybe even running from God. Maybe the exact same place that Jacob was. And Jesus was like, I saw you there. Like the stairway of, from heaven went all the way down to you under that fig tree. I saw you there. And he was like, oh my gosh. What, who, who knows if he was just asking for us, God, give me a sign. Show me that you're real. Show me that. Sh- who knows what he was praying under the fig tree? But Jesus said, hey, I saw you under that fig tree. And he's like, you are, you're the, you're the Messiah. Jesus is like, you ain't seen nothing yet. That fig tree thing, that was easy. You're going to see the sun. You're going to see angels descending and sitting on the Son of Man. Jesus is calling himself, Jacob's letter, Jesus is calling himself the only way that God reaches man. I know that's a very exclusive statement. The only way. You can't ever get up. God has to come down. This is why every other religion is a re- are, are basically steps to God. Steps to heaven. This is a stairway from heaven. I mean, what noble thing did Jacob do? He's not seeking God. God comes down by sheer grace. And that's crystal clear in this narrative. By the grace of God, God comes down and delivers. We could do nothing to deserve the grace of God. We could do nothing to reach the heavens of God. We could do nothing to get to God. We cannot be good enough. I'm not saying you don't like to all of a sudden just throw everything out of the window, but your righteousness will not amount to anything. Your spirituality, your meditation, your stuff will not amount to anything. God has to break into our lives. God has to come down. Every other world religion are steps. Christianity is steps down from God. And this is why you can't grasp at God's blessings. You can't go for them. You can't just like try to, you can only be given the blessings of God by sheer grace. You can't grasp at eternal life. You can't grasp at spirituality. You can't grasp at holiness. You can't grasp at peace. It can only be given to you. Jacob was not a pilgrim. He was no spiritual seeker of truth on the path of truth. He was no returning prodigal son. Yet God went out to meet him by grace. And how does God show us grace here, now, right now? How does heaven touch earth, so to speak, right now? How does this place, this Swedish hall, turn into the very stairway from heaven to, the, to earth? Through Jesus. The gate, the stairway, is through Christ. Because of Jesus, not our self-righteousness, the righteousness that can only come from Jesus, not our super-spirituality, the only access that we can ever get to God is through the truth, the spirituality, the perfection, the love, the grace, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. This is why Jesus came down to deliver by the grace of God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. And I pray that even now that we would get a new sense of that. I know that's something that we just don't maybe bask in enough is the grace of God. Lord, we bask we like a warm sun in the middle of winter we we want to just bask in your grace maybe we need grace today maybe we 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 didn't work hard enough on a project that's due or this or that or we're not the 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 best mom or the best husband or the best friend or whatever and we just we need your grace today 
I know that there's something even, me, even in me right now as I'm praying this, God, that's like, but, but people have to be better. I can't just say I need grace, the grace of God. And, and but that's what's so crazy and scandalous about your grace. I believe even right, right now, God, there's people like Jacob who are on the run or think, yeah, I'll get serious about God when or if. I pray that would die right now. I pray in Jesus' name that would die. And that we would receive the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.